You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Providing a sequel for one of the highest grossing and most loved live action musicals of all time is a terrifying challenge by any reckoning. So I think you might be surprised how humble and down to earth the man that was charged with doing so is. My old friend Al Parker wrote and directed Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again and has done a fine, fine job too. As well as managing an all-star cast, including Pierce Brosnan, Colin Firth and Cher, he also had the not insignificant problem of melding all those iconic songs with the wonderful Anne Dudley score. Thankfully, Benny and Bjorn from ABBA were on hand to help, of which plenty more shortly. Before that, a quick word to say that this week's episode is brought to you in association with The White Company. We all lead very busy lives and I, for one, as a working mum who finds it hard to unwind and switch off, really appreciate a good night's sleep. The White Company has years of experience in crafting bed linen and more to help you achieve just that. Think of them as your own personal sleep expert. Now, they've launched a brand new range of products to help you achieve the best sleep possible, not just with wonderful engulfing bed linen and nightwear, but naturally infused sleep remedies, which I found incredibly helpful in steering me towards a peaceful and restorative night's sleep. To find out more, head to thewhitecompany.com or pop into one of their stores. Sleep better, feel better, live better with The White Company. Now, the reason we're coming to you a little later than normal is because Anne and Mamma Mia's music supervisor, Becky Bentham, have been moving heaven and earth to provide us with exclusive cues from the film. So it seems fitting that we start with one of them, entitled Apollonia. Welcome to Soundtrack, and it is a real, real honour to have you on the show. It's lovely to be here. Um, we've got to start with Mamma Mia, that's <laughs> alright. Sure, yeah. It would be silly not yeah, to, we can really. Yeah, with it too. Um, I know from when you got the job, and I was really excited when, you, when it was announced that you were going to be making the film, and it just felt right, and it felt exciting for me, kind of knowing you a little bit, and knowing what you do. When it was first presented to you, or the idea was kind of first floating around, what were your thoughts and how did you respond to that? Uh, originally I was, I, I think, well Richard Curtis wrote to me, was how it started. He wrote me an email saying, um, who's a friend of mine, a great screenwriter and director, wrote to me and said, um, random question, do you like ABBA? And so I said, uh, yes of course, you know, who doesn't? And I think I thought he was going to invite me to dinner with Benny and Bjorn. Uh, <laughs> Is that your dream? That's, that was my dream. That was my mum's dream, more specifically. Because I'd obviously, I'd grown up with ABBA uh, hugely. They, they were the soundtrack to my school run, so mainly a miserable soundtrack. But, um, and I think they weren't really my band of choice as a teenager, it's fair to say. But um, they're just in there. They're in everyone's DNA. And so, and the songs are amazing. And so, um, and then it turned out that it was about writing the sequel. And obviously, I didn't know then. I, th it was, I just got the gig as writer. I didn't realize that I'd be um, directing. 
when you were writing it, did you see it in your head in terms of I could yeah, make weirdly, it? Yeah, like... weirdly, weirdly. I mean, normally I write is what I do, and I've directed a couple of you know really tiny little films. And though both of those, when I set out to write them, I was writing for myself, and mm. they were deliberately tiny. And whenever I write anything with like more than two people talking in a room, I assume it's going to be somebody better than me. <laughs> and so I was merrily writing, you know, a dance sequence on fourteen boats, thinking that it would be someone else's <laughs> problem. I never have written any of this stuff if I thought that it was going to be me. Share arriving um, on a helicopter. Share arriving on a helicopter is going to be fine. You know, someone, Rob Marshall's going to do that great, or Jason Moore, or, you know, one of those guys who are brilliant but I was as I was writing I was thinking not to sound like a cock hopefully but I was thinking this is kind of working like I no, or maybe not this is working but I kind of know how to do this do you mm -hmm. know what I mean and so I genuinely I'd gone into it with no belief that I would you know not even apply for the gig let alone get the gig of directing it but I, as I was writing I was thinking that's a bit of a be a bit sad to hand this over <laughs> to someone else but great and grateful and you know as I always am but just a bit sad and then um, a couple of months after I handed it in all the cast read it the legacy cast you don't call them the old cast uh, <laughs> uh, they read it and they were all said yes and so it started to move forward quite fast and their agents were none of their dates could work but because they were all paid so much money their agents made the impossible dates work and then I think I said to the producer, I was like, shouldn't we get a, you know, where's Rob Marshall? And, and she said, bless her, Judy Graham said to her, we thought you might be interested. And I had to pretend, obviously, that I was delighted when, of course, I was just terrified. <laughs> and I had to go away and think for the weekend, you know, like whether I could, whether I should, whether I would. Um, well, being incredibly grateful, mm. obviously, and flattered and amazed and all that stuff, but just like, this is terrifying, I don't know what I'm doing. What was the biggest fear, do you think? Well, the biggest fear, when, when I got the gig writing it, I was just, uh, it could have been completely terrifying, and I was aware that it could be completely terrifying, because the first movie is such a giant hit, obviously, and mm. that's, you know, why the second one exists. And, and there's all these amazing cast, and, and, you know, and so much pressure, and everyone judges it in the light of the second Marigold movie, for example, was, which I, I wrote the sequel to the Marigold Hotel as well as the first one, and the first one was pissed all over um, in the UK by the critics, and then praised beautifully, I mm -hmm. believe, in America. I don't really read them, but I was aware. And the sequel was the complete opposite. And so, which is fine, I'm not saying either of them were right or wrong, but it was, you know, lauded here and dramatically slacked off in America. And it sort of taught me that just the extent to which a sequel is going to be judged by its predecessor for better or worse it's just obviously but it, I guess it seems obvious now but at the time I thought we're making a new movie mm. you know it's going to stand on its own feet and it doesn't it exists because of the other one and it exists in the context of the other one and, and in the shadow of it and so that was kind of scary but then I just thought how amazing I get to work with these guys and inherit these characters that people already love rather than trying to make you love them and introduce them people already know them and work with that music. And so I would spend a week walking around the park with my iPod, listening to all of ABBA, and I just <laughs> thought, oh, man, this is insane, I have to do this, I must do this. When the script was, was sent to the cast, within that, were the songs in place, in terms of where the songs fitted narratively? Yeah, when I, when I got the gig, I went, I, went to, I went to Stockholm to meet Benny and Bjorn, who were lovely. Uh, and they're only, I, I thought they were going to give me a list of, you know, 15 songs, I think, that they really liked. And yeah. we've been thinking, and we like this and this. And, and they didn't at all. They just said, use whatever you want. You know, you, we chatted a bit, and I let you obviously, you know, you're aware of the back catalogue, you know. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I am, I really am. And they said, we would like the songs to fit the story. 
you know, to, to tell more of a story. I think there's what happens with the jukebox musical. It happened with the first one. This isn't a criticism because obviously it worked gloriously well. Is that you kind of crowbar your way into it, and yeah. then the song itself doesn't really match the drama, and so the drama stops effectively while the, in the performance of the song happens. And in a musical, it's the complete opposite. If you think of any great musical, then the drama happens within the song. Yeah. If you take, you know, I don't know, Sound of Music, then yeah. when she sings, uh, I have confidence in me, she leaves the nunnery really scared, and by the time she arrives, she feels better. So there's a huge emotional change when she marches up the thing and rings the doorbell. All my favourite things, I think, she is where she bonds with the kids. Yeah. Beginning of the song, they all hate her, and by the end, they're all best friends. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favourite things. Green-coloured ponies and crisp apple strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzel with noodles, wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings. These are a few of my favourite things. So that's where things move forward, and actually the, the conversation is less dramatic than the songs. And in jukebox musical, it tends to be the opposite. And this is, I guess, it falls somewhere in between. But my goal, and my task, as given to me by them, but also my goal writing, was to try and make the songs fit a little bit more and to that end Bjorn was incredibly generous and rewrote some lyrics for me which he hadn't done for the first one I'm not yeah. sure if Felder asked or if it was relevant or whatever but mm. for this one I was like certain songs I think we're going to need to in order to keep them relevant after the first two lines <laughs> yeah. you're going to need to so um, I've been waiting for you that Amanda Seyfried sings it was a love song and it's become now a love song from a mother to a child that was a lovely rewrite I, I have known love before I thought it would no more Take on a new direction Still, strange as it seems to be It's truly new to me That affection I, I don't know what you do You make me think that you Will change my life forever If you haven't seen the film yet, My Love, My Life, it nearly broke me. And because, I, I guess because I'm a mum, but also I have such a lovely relationship with my mum. And so, yeah, God, I feel myself amazing. welling up thinking about it. I guess I put myself in that position if I'm not being here. God, I really am crying thinking about it. It's so beautiful. It really is. I never felt this strong. I'm invincible. How could this go wrong? No, here, here's where we belong. I see a road ahead. 
The emotional depth that you've managed to inject into this film is unbelievable. I mean, you find yourself, and it's all emotions. You're laughing your head off, you're euphoric from singing along to it, you're bawling your eyes out, you feel empathy and sympathy and stuff. And I mean, I can completely see from why everybody jumped on board with that, you know, from reading well, that thank script. Thank you, but two things. One, I've met your mum, so the reason I'm here is because <laughs> she's amazing. And so there's that. First time I've cried and during two, the podcast. She, no, your mum is magnificent, <laughs> so there's that. But two, I mean, I think there's so much of that comes from the music. I mean, that's mm. such a gift. I mean, and, and to be making a film, we really missed the days where if we shot for three days without a song, you could feel it on set. You know what I mean? You could just feel the tone would change. It would just be different and sadder. And even if the songs are sad, it was just, it, it's extraordinary creating. I mean, there are directors, you know, Joe Wright does it. He plays music a lot anyway, just to keep people in the vibe. And I've never sort of had the confidence to do that. I'm always the guy, even if I'm in a car, with someone else, I was kind of, I'm really embarrassed playing my favourite song in case they hate it, do you know what I mean? And until they go, I really like this, I'm thinking, this is terrible. I can't. Do you know what I mean? So the idea of playing someone music that I like is anathema to me. I mean, for example, a song in it, my, uh, I've Been Waiting For You. Uh, when we did the Lily Giving Birth, uh, because it was silent, because I knew it was silent, and I'd written it to be a series of shots intercut with Amanda singing the song. Mm. And so when we did the birth scene, uh, we just played the music land we didn't need to have Lily didn't need to be mic'd we didn't need to have mics on the set so all of that screaming that she does all of that walking around the room in agony is all set to the music and it was extraordinarily helpful and moving and actually when we when Lily did the actual birth she said I said how do you want to do this and because she, she's obviously done her research she works incredibly hard Lily and so she you know thought about it a lot and researched a lot and I said we can just turn the song on point the camera at you and, and you go and she's like okay let's try that and I said do you want me here or do you want me at the monitor which is in the next room mm -hmm. and she said uh, the monitor's fine I'll be alright so it's like cool so uh, and it was the last day's filming the last morning so she you know got ready and did the makeup and she sat on the bed and, and then turned the song on and I said action and she just sat there and it was like nothing <laughs> and and she went, oh, I can't. She went, I'm just sorry, I just, I'm, help me out. I'm a bit lost here, which is totally reasonable. Cause, you know. And so I said, well, how about I sit next to you and just talk you through it? Mm. And she's like, all right, fine. And I could do this, obviously, because we're listening to the song. And so I started off very technically kind of going, okay, you know, turn to the right, scream, look up, look down, turn to the left, scream again, clench your teeth, you know, things like that. But as you get more and more into it, then, then you can't be that technical. So by the end, I'm just talking you through a birth. I'm like, sweetheart, we can see the head now. You're doing amazing. One more push. This is incredible. You're amazing. I've never seen, you know, just whatever nonsense I can find to say. And she's, you know, doing her extraordinary thing. And then literally as the song ends, you know, we absolutely time the nonsense that I'm saying. And so the song ends and I get, and cut. And after there's a long pause and she goes, that was a bit weird, wasn't it? And I go, yes, no, very weird indeed. And then bless them, and her asked me to be their doula uh, as a result, which is really nice, if they ever have a child. That's amazing. <laughs> but so that, but that's, my point is that's what the, I mean, there's hugely based around listening to the song mm -hmm. and listening, you know, we'd already recorded it, obviously, and listening to what Amanda does and being moved by that, and it just sends you to a place, and so it makes acting far easier, directing far, far easier. I'll carry you all the way, and you will choose the
when I came out from the screening as well, it, it kind of really stayed with me and I was just, I couldn't believe how, you know, I know that you shifted a few of the lyrics or you got little things rewritten and stuff, but it almost felt like you'd kind of time traveled to when they'd written the songs originally and there'd been an idea for a film when these songs were written because nothing's kind of crowbarred in. It's so weird that it Thanks just very, thank you very much. fits kind of like, and you're going, well, I think, how the hell did they do that? Well, I think you're liberated by, thank you, by the way, but I think you're liberated by, I wasn't worried about, by going having deeper cuts, as it were, because... Mm-hmm. If you see La La Land or if you go see Hamilton, you know, then you're not, you haven't heard the songs before. Do you know what I mean? There's that extraordinary Coldplay gig where they played Glastonbury before their album came out. And they're still astonishing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because the songs are so immediate and so great. So it was never that. So it was always about finding the right song rather than finding the hit song. Do you know what I mean? And so that yeah. was really helpful. And so I didn't feel, obviously they'd used most of them anyway in the first movie and I didn't want to do that. some you're going to repeat because it's called Mamma Mia and you've got to have Dancing Queen if anybody, <laughs> yeah. whenever anyone has the chance to listen to it they must Some songs you write towards. Fernando is the biggest crowbar in the world, but that's actually a. Oh, but joke I mean, crowbar. when she just like. That is a joke, that, crowbar, but yeah. it's yeah. perfect. Yeah, but backdated. When I, I came up with that because we, Richard Kess and I sort of worked on it together, worked on the story together. So we sat in his caravan and we pinned up our favourite songs on the wall and we sort of fumbled our way through the story and then I went away and wrote it and changed some of it, but we, sort of, we, we had the building blocks from then. But we, were, we thought we'd finished and I, there were like five songs left on the wall that we couldn't get in. And I said, all right, here's one. I've got one. And he said, okay. So there's a guy, he, he works at the hotel. He's older. He's Hispanic. I don't know what he does. He must be the manager. He's a hotel manager. And Richard, you know, this is what you do. He just sat there very patently waiting. It's like, we have to drop it in that Lily's mum, Donna's mum has had her heart broken in Central America years before. We can hide that. And so there's this guy. He's very sad. He's, he's had his heart broken. And Richard has no idea where I'm going. And it takes about five minutes. So we call him Cienfuegos. Like there's a joke about that, 100 fires, I can make a joke about that. And it's like, okay. And then at the end, he looks up and he shouts Ruby and she turns to him and says, Fernando? And Richard just cracked up. <laughs> and I was like, great, that'll do. And so that's, you know, it came in a five-minute rush. Um, but it, it, he exists to be called that by Cher. He's, he's invented for that joke, which is an audacious bit of writing. Can you hear the drums, Fernando? I remember long ago another starry night like this In the firelight, Fernando You were humming to yourself and softly strumming your guitar I could hear the distant drums and sounds of bugle calls were coming from afar They were closer now, Fernando Made me cry. There was something in the air that marked the 
starstruck when I met Cher at the press conference. Isn't she something? Yeah. She's amazing. Isn't she something? Yeah. I love, and, and it was so weird. I went up and said hello, and then her, her publicist or her manager, who was ever with her, with her, who has obviously been with her a long time, yes, who had little cat ears on, like fixed my hair for me, which was just the, very kind, the weirdest very thing. No, I mean, very all kind. her team, it's a testament to how great she is. I mean, her makeup people and all of them have been with her for 30 years. Wow. And so they're all really tight. They're mm. all like sisters and they just sit and giggle together. Yeah. She's amazing. She was, uh, I, like, I wrote it for her nakedly. I would have called the character Cher. Uh, and, and when I handed it in there, because obviously I didn't know I was going to direct it, I was like, by the way, that's Cher, whoever, whoever's directing this, that's written for Cher and it should be Cher. And then whenever you're casting, you have lists, you have, you, because the plan A will say no and so yeah. will B and C, so you have to move on quickly and so you can always go, okay, that's great, Matt Damon doesn't want to do it, that's fine, because Ben Affleck would be brilliant. And, and, I, and I just do, wouldn't contemplate anyone else, there was just no one else in my head, it was always her. And she took her time because obviously she owns time <laughs> and, so, and can turn it back. And so the studio were like, listen, you need to, you know, you need to have an alternative. You know, you need to have a plan B and C. And I was like, no, it's, she's going to say yes. And I was telling people with, with no evidence uh, the opposite, that she's no shares going to do that part. <laughs> and I'm like, really? I said, like, yeah, yeah. And I told the young cast, which is stupid, because as a director, you look like a jackass. If you're, and they're like, God, how amazing. Shares going to do it. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then I walked out thinking, why did I say that? It's a stupid thing to say. And then, um, bless her, she said yes. And then she was nothing but a nightmare before she came. You know, just hassles about this and that. Yep. And, you know, and with, you know, the trailer and where it would be and how close and how big. And it just, it was all, you know, tricky. And which was hilarious and fine because she's Cher. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. she can be as much of a diva as she wants. I don't care. She's doing the movie. It's hilarious. Yeah. The worse she is, the funnier it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I talked to her on the phone and she was just great. Really funny. She called me Babe. She went, the thing is, babe, and I said, sorry, could you say yeah, that again? Yeah, I've got you. No, she went, sorry, could you say that again? And she went, the thing is, no, no, just she went, babe. I said, yeah, thank you, carry on. And then, and then she was great. And so it sort of became clear that my managers are lovely and stuff, but it's all, uh, you know, the yeah. noise around her. Mm. And then the first day she came, she walks on set and there's loads of them around her and she had like dark glasses on. And she kind of puts out her hand for you to kiss it, basically. She doesn't really shake hands. She puts it out facing downwards, palm downwards. So you're like, I guess I should kiss your hand. But then really quickly, it turns out she's really warm. She's really funny. And she's just up for it. Because um, Amanda frosted her completely. Amanda, I'm introduced Amanda to her. Mm-hmm. And Amanda's like, hi, Amanda, great, playing your, daughter, your granddaughter. Very excited to work with you, brilliant. Uh, I'll leave you now. And rushed off because she didn't want to have yeah, to share. Yeah. And then the next day, Cher was like, I was really hurt when you frosted me. And Amanda's like, I thought I was being cool. So she's lovely. And everyone, you know, loved her and was very, you know. On the last day, they're all queuing for photos with her. Brilliant. Which was um, to see James Bond and Mr. Darcy (laughs) (laughs) queuing for pictures with uh, She's Next Level. And to see James Bond and Mr. Darcy doing the Titanic uh, that was I amazing. Was yeah, no, that was, uh, yeah, that was my that was my gag. I had that from a while before, and the only battle was who was going to be Kate and who was going to be Leo. <laughs> they had a slight, they had a slight no ego thing. No, no I'm not going to tell you. It worked out fine. Can we talk a little bit about Anne Dudley as well and how you kind of navigated needing additional score really and and how that kind of worked yeah it was always going to be the first one has very little score very little it has a couple more songs in it but it's very little score and again that's part of what makes it a jukebox musical Mm. very clearly and that's great and obviously it worked great but this always seemed to call for I think because we were looking to be a little more emotional 
and not just use the songs for the emotion, but to you know have scenes that were emotional and to go a little deeper, which was the gift I could be given by inheriting those characters, is that you can just take it on from where she left it. And so it was always going to be scored. And so it was very much me and Anne talking with the idea and Judy Kramer, the producer, to make the score based around ABBA songs, because obviously they're miraculous tunes as well. And so there's a whole scene set to take a chance on me, which you don't really realise is take a chance on me until a kind of comedy moment and then it kicks into the chorus. And Anne was fantastic, and with Benny's enormous blessing, Benny loved her and loved working with yeah. her. Finding ways to, you know, set it in a slightly Greek way and use mm-hmm. Greek instruments, Greek instrumentation, but to use melodies that you knew and songs that you knew in a hopefully sometimes witty context. Mm-hmm. And it was enormous fun, really satisfying for all of us to choose songs and then to mess with them. beautifully is find their way into songs. I have a problem with musicals, I always struggle with the moment they take the piss out of him, Monty Python, with the guy going, someone, somewhere, as he walks towards the window and uh, Michael Palin runs in and goes, stop that, stop that, as the music yeah. starts to swell. I always struggle with, you know, there's the great line in Seinfeld where he goes, I hate the opera, who sings? So I try to, there's loads of them in the movie where it's like someone presses play or it's actually, you know, Lily's on stage with a microphone. Yeah. However kind of, you know, slightly false that is in the band, there's clearly a bigger band than we're watching. There's just I, I, the sense that the music is coming from somewhere else rather than just, you know, it becomes this extraordinary thing. And so, um, uh, so she was great at finding ways to Dancing Queen is one. The piano roll is obviously, you know, the most famous piano roll in history and rightly, but it, if it just starts abruptly, that'll be a weird thing. So the scene is scored up to that point point and it drops out about three seconds before and then you hear the piano roll but it has to kind of get there and be in the right key and be in the right tone
And then Benny himself did one for Super Trooper at the end. It has a big ending, it has an emotional punch that you yeah. talked about at the end. And then I knew that it was going to fade out and then go into Super Trooper, but it just didn't work with the chorus of the women singing Super Trooper. It's too abrupt a right turn from the scene that you've just been watching. So I said to Benny, is there any way you can, you know, write something interstitial to get us in there? And he did, and it's glorious. fascinating character I'd love to have her on the show actually just in terms she's of great she was in Age of Chance years ago I mean she was, was uh, she? yeah she was yeah yeah oh, no right. she's cool she's totally cool oh, yeah. wow. I saw them years ago so when I met her it's like I saw you the Cambridge Student Union wow yeah the diversity of what she's worked on from like the crying game to American History yeah. X mm -hmm. to the film on E yeah. to that uh, Isabel Hubert film L a couple of years ago that she yes, did as well. Yes, she's just really diverse kind of. Yeah, but she's—I yeah. mean, she's a—you know, she's a chameleon. And she doesn't have an ego, which is really lovely. She's thrilled to get the chance to work with Abbott. You know, I mean, really excited. I mean, every—I saw Chris Martin. So that's a name drop, but I don't. I just uh, just before the movie came out, and I said, Are "You going to see the movie? You're a fan of Abbott?" And he just looked and went, "I'm a musician." And it's like they're so massively respected, mm. uh, and so she, everyone was—I mean, met lots of people for the gig. You know, really yeah. nice and really talented people but they're all buzzing at the idea of working with Benny and their main concern actually is whether he'd want to work with them whether he'd want to collaborate whether he'd be up for it but yeah she doesn't have an ego so she can subsume herself as all great you know school composers mm. can and writers I guess as well you know you just it's not about what you bring yeah or you can find yourself a part of what you bring but the more important is that you serve the whole and she's brilliant at that some really brilliant composers in the films that you've directed. Alex Heffis actually who we talked about recently with Kevin McDonald. Yeah he did. Because yeah. he, he did, did The Last did. King of Scotland he and did. 
Which then, was why I think it was Last King of Scotland and it was the um, the mountaineering one as well. Oh yeah, that I went um, to work with him, which I absolutely loved. Oh, that one, that, that one, one. Yeah. that one, oh. brilliant film. Dustin as well. Dustin Halloran, Dustin I wanted. Dustin Halloran, Dustin, I wrote. I mean, I wrote the whole. Uh, he was actually a bit like Cher. I wrote the whole. I wrote the movie <laughs> to his music entirely, oh, wow. and so it was just very clear. A variety Often, of his stuff or a specific film? Um, a variety of his stuff, but mainly with uh, Sophia Coppola, mainly with Marion Antoinette, but uh, all of his stuff basically. Um, even his band, but sometimes, but uh, Divix, but um, yeah. And I just, I just pursued him. I was like, I wrote this film. It's you. And he's like, I'm really busy. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and he's really lovely. He's a lovely guy. He's like, it sounds great. And you seem great. But I just, I'm really busy. I was like, yeah, no, it'll be fine. It'll work out. He's like, I just have a short window. I was like, yeah, that's enough. <laughs> and then, um, and then he, I mean, he's amazing. He's synesthetic, which is extraordinary. So he sees music. Yeah. And he feels it. And so to watch him compose is amazing. He can sit down and just spread his fingers out on a table and he shuts his eyes and just starts to and starts to hum as he's playing imaginary keys. And it's beautiful. Oh, wow. oh he's amazing. do well so I'd love watching one of the reasons if I can direct at all it's because I'm a huge fan of actors I love watching them do it but watching musicians compose is endlessly thrilling to me and watching Dustin do it not on the keyboard <laughs> is even more thrilling on his imaginary keyboard yeah on an imaginary that. keyboard yeah Most but he plays, it, plays it with in absolute sincerity and unless he's, it's all an act and he has no <laughs> idea what he's it's doing fool me yeah work for me <laughs>
was a brilliant collection of contemporary tracks as well, and that was good as well. Everything from um, that Lana Del Rey track was everybody knows, but things like Boards Canada and Metric. Metric are in there, yeah, there's an amazing Rachel's track in there. Yeah. something I mean I don't normally direct what I do so it's not up to me anyway yeah but oftentimes the things that you've written a scene to and you go this is gonna be great which was true of Imagine Me You uh, I wrote lots of scenes saying it's this gonna be that it's gonna be brilliant and then I'd shoot the scene and play the song next to it and I'm like, oh yeah that doesn't work <laughs> and so weirdly now is good that was my playlist writing it mainly Dustin but listening to those things and they more or less all I don't know if it's because I was more experienced or just luck or because yeah. they're brilliant tracks maybe or so, I don't know but they just sort of it really was. I gave Pete, the editor, a playlist and was like, I was thinking of this for there, this for there, and obviously if it's not, that's totally cool, but this is what I was thinking of. Yeah. And they more or less all worked out, you know, so, um, and then Dustin did it, so it was a really happy thing for me. What forms the decisions of making that playlist? So when you're deciding on tracks that you're listening to, to write or to write characters or scenes and stuff, What's forming those decisions? It's just hard to say. I think my favourite part of the whole process is when I've got a job before I write. Would you just feel incredibly open and febrile and ready and receptive? Mm -hmm. And I listen to a lot of music then. And it's not like I'm thinking really specific thoughts about you know how to do that scene. Or yeah. You're just sort of starting to feel it and starting to kind of own it. And I listen to music a lot then, and I'm very moved by. It. I always know when I'm into something because I'm intensely moved by almost everything. And almost everything I read, it sort of reflects on it in some way. Every bit of art that I see, something kind of speaks to me about the thing that I'm doing. I can crowbar, you know, I can find a way solipsistically to make it about the thing I'm doing rather than the thing itself. And so you just get a sense, there's just a rhythm to it, and different characters seem to speak in different musical forms. And so then it becomes incredibly important. And then if I'm writing a scene, then it's a huge help to listen to the same song. I remember Richard talking about writing Love Actually to an Everything But The Girl track that he must have heard, you know, for, you just have it on repeat. And it's a really quick way of getting into it emotionally as well the next day and the day after. It just takes you back to that place. Yeah. You know, you turn your computer on and try and read the entire internet and in the end it's only self-hatred that makes you, <laughs> makes you actually try and do some work, do you know what I mean? And so... <laughs> but music really helps with that. You put the track in, like, oh, that's I'm in it now. You know, yeah. you, all the stuff that you do, the faff around to try and get back into it. Yeah. Actually, the song will do that. The quicker you put the song on, the quicker you'll get to work. And so I don't really know what the answer is. It's just a feeling. It's a sense. Mm -hmm. But it's incredibly important to me. I mean, I don't, I can't write without music. You know, it's it's absolutely central to me. And you know when, ironically, when you're writing well, if you don't hear the track, that's when you're yeah, you're yeah, yeah. most. And so I put a track on repeat and don't notice that it's played four times, that's when I've written a good scene. Do you know what I mean? And that's yeah. when it's the right track for the scene, is that it's not standing out. I can't listen to hip-hop anymore because it's too wordy. Yeah. It doesn't match what I... And so as a result, I just listen to far less hip-hop than I used to because so much of music for me is about you know writing now. And mm. so um, I still do, and I still have my kids do, and that's great, but it just does, it's antithetical to writing dialogue yeah, because yeah. I'd start writing something very different.
did, did you only listen to ABBA when you were writing Mamma Mia? Yes, I did, yeah, which wasn't, and it killed my family. And I couldn't listen to it any other time as well when I was cooking. I'd think, right, something else, definitely something else. <laughs> and I'd scroll through the iPod and go, actually, no, I just want to check it out. And then, 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 again. Hum it all the time, sing it all the time. <laughs> I'm just terrible hummer and singer. So yeah, family went really again. But you know, they're great tunes. What about Marigold films? Best exotic and second best. Well, that was Tom. I mean, the extraordinary Tom Newman, who is actually a composite of five different people. Mm. Uh, Tom is, you know, a person himself, and he's a genius. But he works very closely with several other musicians. And John Madden had worked with him on the debt, and they'd had a wonderful time. Did you listen to much music when you were writing Marigold films? Uh, yes, a lot of indie music, a lot of indie music, a lot of Ravi Shankar, which is the most obvious. But yes, uh, as much as I could, and it really helps. I mean, it, you know, it's hard when you're sitting in a you know small room in London to imagine yourself there and so that mm. was hugely helpful and then for the second one uh, I listened to Tom's score we had the great gift for the second movie of using Tom's score yeah. as a temp track and actually some of it is still in the movie that was a magnificent score You know the story of the last cue? Yeah. That it wasn't ready and it wasn't working. And Tom was in agony and on the morning that we were going to record it, he came up with. And I think it you know, added immeasurably to the mm. success of this, the most joyous thing. And so we, yeah, for the second movie we just used, I wrote it to the score. And then we used his score as temp and then he built on his score for the second one, which was lovely.
Tom is the nicest man I know. Everyone always says people are, but Tom and Pierce Brosnan are the two nicest people I've ever met in the industry or outside. My only gripe with Pierce Brosnan is he calls spaghetti bolognese spag bog. He does, doesn't he? Spag he does. Bog. I heard Come that on, interview. Mate. It's so weird. Yeah, and then Amanda misheard him and called it spag, spag bog. Yeah. Yeah, spag, spag bog. Yeah, no, it's very getting weirder and weirder. Spag bot is just wrong. Spag bog. I don't know if that's an Irish thing. Yeah, you know, it might be, actually. Pierce's great, greatest performance of all is that he's just not the suave English that he purports to be. Do you know what I mean? There's his whole thing Facade. is a great big act. He's yeah. this, you know, his glorious mum. When he sang SOS, he came in that he came one evening and he sang Knowing Me, Knowing You, and obviously, you know, murdered it. And we, we cut it from the movie. Not because of that, but it's just, you know, I shot it wrong. Uh, but he did murder it. And that was fine because he's very game and that's all very well, you know. And he didn't mind. And then we went to do SOS, and, and he was, and I'd said, you know, we're going to do a cappella, or possibly with just a bit of piano. And Benny was there, but I was like, take your time, you don't feel, you know, bound to it. And, and he was, he was doing it a bit, he was doing it quietly, but still big. He was going, so when you're near me, and I was like, let's just say it like a poem with yeah. a very slight tune. Do you know what I mean? Just take it down, take it down. And Martin Koch, who's a music supervisor, was to say, just take it down, take it down. And Benny was lovely. He was like, I'm at the piano, I'll just tinkle, take your time, I'll just follow you. And Pierce is like, okay. And so, in the end, he did the take, and it's all one take that's in the movie wow. that was about twice as long as any version he'd done till then, where he was, you know, feeling it and you know acting it rather than singing it. Mm. And uh, and Benny just sort of noodled away underneath him, and uh, it was intensely moving. It really was. And Lisa, the script supervisor, was sitting next to me, floods of tears. And at the end, Pierce went, "That was." That was something, wasn't it? And I said, Piers, that was wonderful. And he went, oh, okay. And then he was going off to meet his mum, Mrs. Carmichael, who's 82, and um, for dinner in, in Hampstead. And so he gave me a hug, and we didn't know, it, did, like, it was his second day on the movie, so we'd only just met. He gave me a big hug and went off, going, that was, that was, yes, something. I was like, yes, Piers. And then he went off, and we were all like putting our jackets on and talking about, you know, the next day or what else we were doing. And then he came back in with his mum and said, I'm so sorry, would you mind if we played that to my mother? And I was like, no, of course not. And so I said, shall I set it up? And Piers interrupted because he was so keen. He said, oh, I've got these photos of Lily James, who plays you know, the young her, and I'm looking at them, and, and, and have a look. And so she listened, and she cried. And, and Piers, look, I made my mother cry. I melted her Irish heart. And it was <laughs> James Bond wanting his mother's <laughs> approval. It was the, the winner. And there were so many indelible memories on the movie, but that's one. Lovely Piers with his lovely mum making her cry. That's amazing. Where are those happy days? They seem so hard to find I tried to reach for you But you have closed your mind Whatever happened to our love I wish I understood It used to be so nice It used to be so good
great thing about having you on the show as well is that I just need to mention a particular TV show that you worked on many years ago that means we can get to play the theme tune for it as well, which was just so much a big part of me growing up going chill. Oh. I did, it was my first ever gig. I'd just, left, I'd just left college, it was my first TV job. And it was the biggest thrill, and the I biggest bet. thrill I got the call. And I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> absolutely, yes. And it was absolutely past its glory by that point, but it was just so much part of my... I loved it, I wrote four episodes, I think. You know, even thinking back on it, there's nothing really now that approaches drama for teenagers quite in the way that that did. You know, in terms of no, it was amazing. I mean, you know, going back, going all the way back, to, going all the way back to Zamo yeah. and just say no, and you know, that was huge. And you know, parents running home with their kids to watch what you know to see what was yeah. happening. And there's nothing else. No, I mean, I thought Skins was thrilling when it arrived. It's, it's an yeah. older generation, but it was fascinating to mm -hmm. watch something talk to people of that generation. But no, younger, it's it's really hard to pull off. Yeah, I mean, it's a really tough needle to thread. And it was the fact that it was so successful and went for so long is an enormous testament. Mm next rest sleep. <laughs> i've not I've got no idea I've no no, idea. no, I've, no weirdly i haven't listened to them at all at oh, all my i was driving my one of my daughters and her friend and they put the soundtrack album on and they were singing along really loudly and it's you know will always be full of extraordinary memories but i was like yeah enough no really <laughs> so no i've no idea what next something will hopefully come along hearing you talk though about musicals and how you really know what works and what doesn't and that's testament in, in how brilliant the film is and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think you're probably going to get like a multitude of musicals thrown at your feet sort of thing, which, oh, thank you. which well, is, I don't imagine they're an easy thing to do. But what I love off the fact back of this is that ABBA are making new music. They are. They, they I were, think and it's they your were, fault. And I think we were slightly <laughs> part of that. Yeah, yeah totally. I think we, I think we enthused them, and they, they've done two new songs. And you know, Cher's doing an album of ABBA songs. I heard which about heard, this. Which Have I've you heard, heard it? Oh, it's sensational. Is it? It's was, she, was she doing this before she? No, no. It's because she, and they're all songs it's from the movie. Because of Fernando. It's because it's because of Fernando. It's because <laughs> no, but they're all songs from the movie. She was sitting in the chapel, watching My Love, My Life, and she was like, Yeah, I love that. I can kill that one, and she can. I've heard it. <laughs> And so, um, yeah, she saw, I showed her one of us because um, we'd shot it already when she came and we'd cut it already because it was quite storyboarded, that one. So, you know, some of them are more, you know, freeform, dancing queen on the, yeah. once they're all dancing together on the jetty, then you just have five cameras and you pick and choose what you're doing. But other ones, like one of us is quite carefully worked out and boarded and so we could edit it, you know, on the day, mm. basically. And, and I remember showing her that and not even watching the wheels turn in their head, but she was like, good, but it turns out she was thinking, I'll have that. Oh my God, amazing. Mm. I can't wait. I cannot wait. But it's not just Benny and Bjorn, it's all of them that are... Yeah, they got to, The band's back uh, together. They got the band back together and they may yet do... I mean, it was really lovely. Bjorn was saying how lovely it was. Yeah. And as soon as they started to sing... Those voices uh, together. Then the voices are still... Because they're not easy to sing. I mean, those songs are not easy. They're really not oh, easy I've for men. Oh, I've killed them at karaoke They're really times. not easy for men. <laughs> yeah. And so it's not just peers. All men struck. Don Cooper had a nightmare time <laughs> with one of us. And so, um, yeah, there's something about what those two women do. Oh, thank you for your time. It's and such a pleasure. Congratulations on the film. I, I can't wait to go and see it again with my mum, actually. 
Are you going to go with her? I'm going to take her, yeah. I so hope she likes I'm her. up in Scotland, and I know it's obviously still going to be playing in cinemas when I when I go up there, but I'm yeah. I so um, hope she likes it. Oh, she will absolutely love it. Um, okay. Thank you so much. Cheers, all. Thank okay. you. Well, those happy days, they seem so hard to find. I tried to reach for you, but you have closed your mind. Whatever happened to our love, I wish I understood. It used to be so nice, it used to be so good. Shara's version of SOS from her forthcoming ABBA tribute album. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with writer, director, Ol Parker. My huge thanks to all for taking the time to talk to us and to Anne Dudley and music supervisor Becky Bentham for providing us with score from the film. Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again is on general release around the world now and is seriously infectious fun. We'll put on our Spotify playlist for the show via edithbowman.com, which is also the place to catch up with all of our previous episodes. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We're at Soundtracking UK and please do keep spreading the word if you like what you hear. Next up, a man with a fantastic array of films under his belt from Monsters Ball, Stranger Than Fiction and The Kite Runner and now the wonderful Christopher Robin. Director Mark Forster joins us next week. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.